I mean, come on, guys. It's a unit full of Templars. How can you not find that cool? Alright, so we are going to be talking about the Warrior's Sons today in this unit deep dive. We're going to be going over the unit, talking about some general strategies and tactics, what attachments to put in there, and what armies to put this in. Before we begin, though, we're going to have a shout-out to our sponsors. We have two this week. One is the Frying Nemo Fish and Chips uh, Seafood Restaurant. The other is our eternal sponsor, Totino's Pizza Rolls. And Okay, guys, can you do me a favor? Please stop buying these things, because every time you guys do, they keep sending me more and more of these things, and I honestly, I don't like them, okay? I don't eat them. I don't support them in any way, but they pay the bills, so please stop, okay? Do not buy Totino's Pizza Rolls. Please stop. Okay, uh, that being said, let's go ahead and jump down into directly looking at this unit. Uh, let's go ahead and just give a brief overview of their stats and what they do. This is an 8-point unit, so fairly expensive. Movement speed of 5, which is strictly average. Anointing Blade is their melee attack that hits on a 4-plus at 7 dice, 5 dice, and 4 dice, which is going to be strictly average across the entire board. They have a defense save of a 4-plus, again, average. They have a morale save, though, of a 4+, which is going to put them as one of the highest in the game. These guys are basically never going to suffer wounds from a morale test or any type of panic effect. They're suddenly going to fail, if that. Uh, this, they're tied to Berserkers for the current highest morale value in the game, or best, I should say. So let's make these guys unique. They have the Battle Prayer ability, which is each time this unit passes a morale test, it gains one faith token. It may expend faith tokens to do the following. you got two effects to choose from. One, when this unit attacks, before attack dice are rolled, the unit can gain plus one to hit and sundering, giving them a three plus to hit at seven dice, five dice, four dice with sundering. Hey, that's pretty nice. When this unit is attacked, after attack dice are rolled, noting that you get to see how many hits before you expend the fate token, this unit gets plus one to defense save rolls for this attack. So what we have here is a jack-of-all-trades, very versatile unit. This can fill most any battlefield role and is going to not necessarily excel at everything, but is going to be able to do a little bit of everything. I mean, if you figure on the defense, they're on average going to be having a 3-plus uh, defense with a 4-plus morale. That means they're going to be taking very little damage unless the opponent devotes some extra resources to it. On the attack, these guys are going to be having a 3-plus to hit with Sundering. Well, they're not rolling the highest amount of attack dice. Um, it's still a respectable amount. Um, five dice hitting on threes with Sundering, it's nice. You can stack this with other effects and other attachments. And, you know, those are nice abilities... Um, each independently. The thing about these guys is you're going to be saying, oh, well, they need faith tokens to do that, which means they need to pass a morale test. Sure, that isn't true, but there's plenty of ways for you to make that happen. The thing is, once these guys get engaged in combat, every time they're attacked, they're going to be making a morale test, and odds are they're going to be passing damn near 100% of those, which means that these guys are exceptionally good on the counterattack, and that's actually going to be the case with most Lannister units, is that they don't have a lot of raw damage output, um, or... They do have a decent amount of damage output, but no staying power. Lannister units tend to be on the defensive side, but the ones that are aggressive are really, really aggressive, like the Mountainsmen. They have a lot of damage output, but they don't have a lot of staying power. Knights of Casterly Rock are going to hit very, very hard on the charge, but once you get stuck in combat, they're basically going to be hitting you with a limp pool noodle and hoping that Lannister Supremacy fixes their problems. The thing with the Warrior's Sons is that they are multi-purpose. They can go good on the defense. They can go good on the attack. There's not a single unit that they would be opposed to, that they're really going to care about. They can engage anything, um, whether it's going to be um, 
other, you know, uh, Lannister guardsmen, they can punch through that with Sundering. If they need to go on the defense against something like Berserkers, they can stand against that as well. And, you know, trade blow for blow on these. The thing is, these guys are just a nice jack-of-all-trade unit. But really, the thing that makes them shine is what attachment you put in them. Because they are so versatile that they are going to just give you the ability to cater this unit to your specific needs in the army. Whether you want them to go full offense, whether you want them to go full defense, whether you want to stick something in them that is going to let them to do both. These are an excellent, excellent commander kind of bunker unit here. And that's actually my favorite use for them. And that's something we'll go over here in just a second, talking about the various commanders and how they shape up. But what I would like to do is actually talk about the generic Lannister tactics cards and how they synergize really well with this unit. Because there are a few that really help these guys out. Because... Again, versatility is the key with these guys. You have the ability to go really good on the offense, go really good on the defense. And frankly, even if you amass like two faith tokens at any point, then you're probably going to be cycling through where you can use both effects anytime you want. Uh, getting faith tokens. Okay, getting attacked is an easy one. That's going to give you an easy one. Uh, if you fail a charge for whatever reason, you'll get another one. Depending on the game mode you're playing, you might be forced to make a panic test or morale test, I should say. Feast for Crows is immediately come to mind where these guys are just trudging across the battlefield going, we are so faithful of seeing all these dead bodies that we're just going to get a massive stack of tokens. Uh, and of course, there's the um, easiest possible way to give these guys fate tokens, and that's to run the High Sparrow. Surprise, surprise, the equivalent of the Pope has synergies with his own Holy Warriors. But we're going to get to him in a second. Back to looking at the generic Lannister cards. So I'm not going to focus too much on the ones that don't directly help these guys. Um, you're going to have some very specific ones that do. Wealth of the Rock is a very good one for them. Uh, that is the when a unit is attacked, they get plus one to defense save rolls. And if you control the Wealth Zone, you're going to block D3 hits. I know you're going to say it's like, well, you can't stack you know, effects because of the same trigger. How does this help them? This kind of helps them get that initial bank roll of... Uh, more, uh, sorry, fate tokens, because say an opponent attacks you, they're probably going to assume that you're going to use that on the defense. You can throw down a Wealth of the Rock, and then boom, all of a sudden, you would get a second um, fate token on there, and start that cycle I said before, where you're going to be able to just start cycling through, attacking and defending, using fate tokens, without ever running out. Because the thing is, your opponent is going to have the option of, do I attack these guys? Yeah, I'm going to deal some wounds, but then they're probably going to pass their uh, morale test and get a fate token, or do I not attack these guys? Since that's something I do see some players suggest is like, oh, well, I can always just get in combat and not attack them. That's true, but these guys actually have the potential to hit you back pretty hard on the offense. And again, it depends a lot on what the attachment you stick in there is. So not attacking these guys is not really an option. The thing is, is that because these guys are so versatile, there is not an easy answer to how you are going to deal with them as an opponent. You Do you want to send your, you know, Kilius unit into them? They can probably withstand that attack, and they're going to tie them up. Okay, do you send something in them just to tie them up, a cheap, like, you know, cannon fodder unit? Okay, these guys probably have the offense to just cut through them. And again, depending on the attachment, they can really cut through them. So there's no easy answer for these guys. And that's actually one of their biggest strengths, because it's a double-edged sword. While these guys don't do anything amazing, they do everything pretty good. 
And that in itself is its own really good skill that your opponent is going to have to, you know, work around and deal with. Meanwhile, with these guys, you're going to have the versatility to go, okay, I need these guys to attack now. I can go and send them to do that. Oh, I need these guys to defend and hold a point. Hey, guess what? They can do that too. There's never going to be a situation where these guys feel like they're wasted points in a list. Uh, and really, no unit should be like that if you cater to the role. But for example, let's say you're running an all-guardsman list. That's all you took is guardsmen and guards captains. Okay, you have no offense in that list, and you're you're requiring the opponent to actually have bad morale and make bad decisions to actually deal you damage. Yeah, you can take objectives, but let's say you're playing a game mode like Clash of Kings, where the objectives are going to matter, but killing is also really important as well. Or Dance of Dragons, where you know you can't reliably expect your guys to get and hold points. Uh, well, okay, I'm not going to get into strategy and tactics there, but just using that as an example. There are workarounds. If you're playing just a bunch of warrior sons, you have the versatility where you're going to be able to adapt on the fly, and your opponent is the one that's going to have to deal with that, assuming you're smart and you know you just don't make a lot of bad plays. These guys are very forgiving in their strategy and tactics because you can send the guys off to attack, and they're going to do pretty good at it. You can tell them, hold this point, and they're going to do pretty good at it because they're pretty hard to displace. I know a lot of people are looking and going like, well, they only have four plus defense. Like, sure, but that means they're still saving half the time. If an average attack, let's say, rolls 8 dice and hits on a 4+, that's going to generate an average of 4 hits. These guys are going to save half the time, ergo, they're going to save 2, take 2 wounds. The thing is, is that then you have to factor in their morale test, which they're probably going to pass. The average morale in the game is between 6 and 7, which is usually going to average 1 wound, maybe 2 wounds if you get some consistent you know, bad rolls. These guys are almost never going to lose models from a morale test, so that has to be factored in. If these guys had a baseline like 3+, plus that could raise to a 2+, plus, they'd be the tankiest unit in the game, and frankly, OP as hell. Anyway, so let's look at some attachments for these guys, and actually look at how we can shape up this unit to you know, really get a focused battlefield role. Uh, we're just going to go down the list here. I'm going to jump between commanders and non-commanders here, and just give my thoughts on... Actually, you know what? Let's go through the entire list of Lannister, uh, Lannister attachments here and see how they stack up. Because really, these guys just stack so well with so many of them that picking a top three, it's a little tricky. I definitely have my, my top options, but there's really hard to put a lot of bad ones in here. So we're going to start with Tywin Lannister, the Lord of Casterly Rock, the commander version of Tywin. So he's going to give you Fear of the Lion, which is uh, when they activate, one unit becomes weakened. Or one enemy within long range becomes weakened. That's already a great effect, because you can just pass that out. It doesn't require line of sight. It's just anything within 12 inches, boom, weakened. If they're fighting the Warrior Sons, you can stack that up. And frankly, cutting through a unit that has a 3-plus defense when you are weakened and being forced to reroll your hits, you're never going to cut through them. But more importantly, he's also going to give the unit Lannister Supremacy, which is every time they pass a morale test, the opponent is then going to take a panic test at a minus two. By the way, small correction there. It's when the unit is attacked and passes their panic test, not anytime they make a morale test. That's very important, so please read the cards and understand. Just because I say something on here, don't think like, oh my god, this is how it works, this is how it's changed. Please just read the cards, guys. That's all I ask. Anyway, Tywin is definitely in my top three choices to stick in here. And this is getting back to the point where I say this is an excellent command bunker to stick your commanders in. Because really, it's still an eight-point unit. You kind of want to keep them a little bit cheaper, uh, unless the investment is really worth it. And your commander is free. You're going to stick them somewhere anyway, so you know why stick them in just a standard car when you can stick them in the BMW, right? Next one is going to be Tywin Lannister, the half-man. 
I actually prefer Tywin to go into a ranged unit just so he can really get as far from the battle as he can. So this is an okay unit to stick him in, but frankly, there are better options. Jamie Lannister, the Kingslayer. Order counterattack. Um, all right, this is an okay unit for Jamie. I would actually rather stick him in Guardsmen to keep them cheap, but this is not a bad unit to stick him in if you're going to be running Jamie. So not a bad option here. There's some cheaper options I'd prefer to take, but still not bad. Gregor Clegane, the Mountain. Okay, I actually really do like sticking Gregor in here because while you can go full offense sticking him in a unit of Mountain's Men or something similar, they are already House Clegane, so they're not going to gain the benefit. And sticking him in a unit of Guardsmen, yeah, you're going to raise the damage potential of the Guardsmen, but frankly, they don't have enough raw offense, even with Gregor, to really make me get excited about them. So to me, the choice comes down, do you stick Gregor in a unit of Halberdiers or Warrior's Sons? The Halberdiers are nice, but the thing is is that I really like him in the Warrior Sons for the extra one point because they're going to start benefiting from all those House Clegane cards, but they're also going to get that uh, Panicked effect and the Auto Wounds. They have enough damage output where I really like sticking them there, and they've got the survivability where I feel I can maximize uh, Gregor's abilities. Halberdiers are nice, but they can be melted down pretty easily uh, because their defense saves are a 4 plus, 7 plus. They're going to have more raw offense, but I don't really think you need that much extra when you're packing Gregor on the unit. Whereas the Warrior Sons, that exponential growth of being able to stack Sundering, Panicked, and the extra D3 wounds, that gets really nasty. So to me, I really like Gregor in there. It's not my top pick, but if I was running a Clegane list, then... Uh, I would definitely consider sticking Gregor in that unit as my command bunker option. Uh, looking at another list here, we have Preston Greenfield of the Kingsguard. I'm going to skip over that because there's not really anything there. Marin Trant, uh, not really anything great there either. Because these guys, I'm skipping over them because not because they're not good in the unit, but because they don't really give any extra synergies in this unit that they would with others. Uh, I will call attention to Ares Oakheart, though. Uh, protection of the crown. While you control the crown, enemies suffer minus one to hit when attacking this unit with melee. This is going to help up their survivability because giving you a three plus defense with the minus one to hit is fairly nasty, and it's only a point. So it's a little cheap addition that will help out. Not my favorite pick, but something to consider. Actually, for the same points, I would rather stick in instead a champion of the faith. Go figure, the unit attacher that comes with them synergizes well with the unit. Order, stand resolute. When this unit uh, passes a morale test, all enemies engaged with it become vulnerable. This really helps their offensive potential and synergizes well with what they're already naturally going to do. It's going to give you a nine-point unit. That means that they're going to then, on the attack, make the... Oh, sorry, usually be attacking a vulnerable enemy with plus one to hit and sundering. All of a sudden, that plus one to hit and sundering becomes that much more impactful when you're forcing them to reroll defense saves. If we look at the average defense in the game as being a four-plus... Uh, Sundering is going to raise that to a 5+, therefore they're going to be passing that 33% of the time. When you stack in Vulnerable past that, forcing a reroll, the chances of them passing any... Uh, it's going to drop that even further. So on average, they'll be making about one save per attack at full ranks uh, with your Warrior Sons. So an average of about six wounds just off the attack before you factor in any type of panic test. That's half a unit gone. That's a pretty good investment right there to me. And that's just those effects stacked up right there. So definitely keeping it cheap. The Champion of the Faith is actually going to be one of my top three picks as well. Guard Captain, don't waste points and stick a Guard Captain here, guys. You should know that. You don't need to reroll morale test, and you definitely don't need to kill a guy to force it here. Okay? Assault Veteran. 
The Assault Veteran is another one of those, like, just one-point additions I really like with these guys. Uh, because, specifically a couple things here. One, these guys are going to be in prolonged combats. So that's where they shine, and that's where the Assault Veteran is going to further assist them. Now, his effect is hold the line. Uh, with the unit begin the turn engaged, they're going to get plus one to hit and roll plus two dice. Which, this is because of the timing of this effect, is one that you can also use with their faith token offensive ability. Which means that combining these guys, the Assault Veteran with the Warrior Sons, you can effectively get a plus two to hit, sorry, a two plus to hit, rolling upwards of nine dice with Sundering. That is scary, okay? And that is just a fantastic little combo to have. And because these guys are going to want to get in prolonged combats, it's going to trigger a lot. So for the investment, the Assault Veteran is one of my favorite things to stick in with these guys. Uh, and you'll notice a trend here that because they're expensive, sticking in some of the cheaper options just feels good because you know, you're not spending a ton of points here, but you're also just getting a lot of bang for your buck with this unit. And that's really what I like. So Assault Veteran, Champion of the Faith, and um, Tywin Lannister are my top three so far. There is one other option which we'll get down here to um, that I really think shines with them. We're going to skip over the other Kingsguard here, Boros Plow, Jamie Lannister, Man and More. Again, for the same thing I talked about before. They're good, but they don't necessarily synergize with these guys specifically. The last one we're going to talk about here is going to be Sandor Clegane, the Hound. At two points, uh, you're going to get the Hound's Fury ability, which is, before rolling dice, the attacking gain plus one to hit and gain Vicious. You're going to suffer wounds after you attack, which is going to be the trade-off, but okay, sure. Um, the thing about Sandor's ability here is that this is just a nice little effect that is going to give you plus one to hit and Vicious. I know I just said that, so I'm sorry for repeating. But this is going to really help your offensive potential here. Um... Now, this is something that we're going to chat a bit later, but just to, I don't want to get into this too much, but yes, you can use this ability and the Warrior's Sons um, innate ability, and I'm not going to get super much into why that exactly works. Just pay attention in the coming weeks. This is being released uh, March 22nd. Give it a couple weeks, and that will make more sense. Anyway, so with the Hound here tagging him in there, you can get yourself to a plus two to hit with Sundering and Vicious. And even if you're rolling seven dice, that means you're probably going to be hitting two of them and you got Sundering and Vicious. I mean, it's a great combo. And frankly, it's worth the D3 wounds because these guys are a tanky unit that can take it. Okay, so that's actually... I'm going to give a honorable mention to the Hound there. I actually couldn't tell you, uh, combining all these guys together, which one would actually be in my top three and which one gets down to fourth place. Um, because the one-point attachments are just such a good investment in those units. And then Tywin being a free commander sticking in there. So I guess it is going to be Sandor in fourth place there. <coughs> oh, guys, sorry about that. Um, I'm not going to say that, you know, oh, I would only take the others. Because I definitely believe there is a case for taking Sandor over the one-point attachments. It depends on what you want the unit to do and just really how the rest of your army shapes up. If you only have one point left, yeah, go ahead and go for Champion of the Faith and the Assault Veteran. If you got the two points, though, I would probably stick that in there with Sandor. And if you're running the Mountain as your commander and you're not sticking him in that unit and you want another affiliation, I would stick Sandor in there immediately to help trigger all those um, House Clegane benefits. So, you know, that's your option there, because you can stick Sandor in the unit of the Warrior Sons, and then Gregor somewhere else, like in a defensive unit, or a unit of Halberdiers, someplace else. You know, they've got a lot of synergies between the two of them, but that's just opening up more options. As far as the neutral characters go, 
and looking at any of those you might add in, there's not really a lot that I would consider throwing in there. If I was running a Ramsey-led Lannister list, you know, I would probably actually just get, you know, Blackguard to uh, have Ramsey, you know, be trouted around in. I wouldn't necessarily stick him in the Warrior's Sons. Um, other neutrals you have, Brienne. See, Brienne's nice. You're going to get a small little benefit with the plus one to hit and plus two dice against a specific enemy. But then to me, you're taking away some of the versatility of that unit being able to just adapt on the battlefield to where they need to be by making them go after a specific threat. The stalwart is also a bit of a waste because, yeah, you're going to pass on a 2+, but frankly, you're already passing on a 4+, and that's good enough for me. Uh, Braun is an interesting choice. I feel he goes better in other places, although with later releases, when the importance of the wealth icon is increased for various reasons then he might not be the worst option either. Plus, he synergizes a little bit with Lannisters because they already want to take the wealth zone anyway. If you're running like a heavy Kingsguard attachment list with Joffrey, one of my favorite tactics is actually just to... um And Joffrey, by the way, the NCU version, not the uh, Commander version. Uh, one of my favorite tactics there would actually be to take the wealth zone with Joffrey so you can trigger every single one of your Lannister cards. If I'm running that specific list, then Braun is definitely one of the guys I will stick in there. And Warrior Sons would not be a bad addition to him because the plus one speed, the plus two attack dice is nice, and you're making them almost just straight up immune to morale tests. That's my only caveat there, though, is that I feel that there's probably other units that are going to benefit from him more, but it's definitely not a bad idea to stick him in there. Okay, so let's get to the thing that most everyone is going to immediately jump to, the High Sparrow Commander with the Faith Militant branch the warrior's sons because we've already talked about this before there are poor fellows coming out but we're not going to spoil those or talk about those in any way shape or form so there's of course an amazing amount of synergy with the high sparrow and the faith militant guys because he is going to trigger a lot of morale tests to gain benefits that these guys are probably going to auto pass and then immediately get faith tokens for his three specific tactics cards are mercy of the mother when a friendly combat unit activates they may make morale test if they pass you restore up to four wounds to that unit aka full rank otherwise you restore only two wounds this is going to help them with their survivability so you can afford to take a blow and you know you're going to heal it up and then when you activate you can take the morale test, gain a token, heal you up an entire rank, and then you know make your offensive go with your extra fate token. Now the thing is about him in general is that he is going to help you get that initial fate token, but more importantly, the sweet spot for the unit is usually getting two fate tokens on them. Because once you get two, you can start cycling them for whatever situation you need, and that's really the kind of sweet spot. He's going to help you get that even faster via uh, his card. Specifically, Mercy of the Mother is going to help you attack. Then you have Wrath of the Warrior. When a friendly combat unit activates, then you may make morale tests on success. They gain plus one attack and sundering. Hey, where have we seen this ability before? So this is going to help you get to a two plus to hit with sundering, which you already had. Okay, so it's a little wasted. But, you know, you have the option. What this really does here, the best use of this card, by the way, don't use this on the with combined with their fate token unless you really need that two plus to hit. But what this allows you to do is allows you to play this card, get the benefit of the plus one to hit in the sundering, and then save your token for when you are counterattacked, because then you're going to have your plus uh, your three plus defense. This again allows you to kind of kickstart their engine so they can really start junctioning between attack, spin token, defense, spin token without ever having a weak or vulnerable opening.
The last one is going to be Protection of the Father. When a friendly unit is attacked, after attack dice are rolled, may make morale tests. On a success, you know, suffers one wound for every two unblocked hits. This one here is going to be, again, another kind of replacement effect where you're going to use this on the defense instead of using a faith token, or you could use a faith token there, it's fine. Or if you don't have one, this is going to, again, get a very quick way for you to get two faith tokens stacked on your unit, so you can just start cycling between attack and defense. That's really the main benefits of his cards, and also because they synergize so well with the unit already having a baseline 4 plus def uh, morale, that you're not going to need to give them any additional benefits to let them start triggering this. One of the weak points in the Lannister army is their morale because you're really just playing a bunch of you know money-hungry bastards. Here, you know you have your High Sparrow influence effect, which is going to give you plus two to your morale test rolls. This allows you to stick that on literally any other unit in the army that will benefit more from it and free up one less thing for you to have to worry about. So if you're running the High Sparrow as your commander, usually you're going to have issues where all your units are kind of bad of morale and you're going to have to like choose where you want to stick him to get the maximum benefit or you're going to have to invest a lot of points in units that have a baseline high morale but you're paying for it like i know the knights of casterly rock list is very popular with him because they've got a baseline of a six plus well the warrior sons are going to give you another option at the same point cost but are not going to need the extra little babysitting that he is going to have to bring to the table here. So you can spread that out. You can run a list of, like, say, two warrior sons with even a one-point attachment. That clocks in at 18 points, but you're already saving points because you're running an NCU commander. So, therefore, you have, you know, 22 points left in your list to free up in other kind of cheap fodder units. I mean, two warrior sons with an attachment at nine points each, let's just say assault veterans, that's gonna clock in 18 points. Stick in two units of guardsmen with a guard captain. So that's another 12 points, that's gonna be 30 points. That's still gonna leave you uh, 10 points to customize out as you want and really give you a solid core there of two very versatile units that can hold their own and two very tanky defensive units that you can further buff with the High Sparrow. How you spend the rest of those 10 points is going to be up to you. I mean, you could take a four-point NCU and a six-point unit, another unit of Guardsmen, eh, maybe, uh, maybe not that, but, you know, that's just opening up a lot of options. And frankly, you know, I could give you some sample lists here, but that really just depends on your play style because that's such a solid core to build from of, you know, those, those two Warrior Sons units and the two Guardsmen units that really you just have a nice solid list right there that you can start from. All right, guys, that is probably going to be everything to talk about the Warrior Sons for right now. Uh, we will definitely re-explore them later in the entirety of the Faith Militant once the Poor Fellows come out because that is going to alter the the list that we're talking about and change some battlefield roles. But in the meantime, key takeaway points in this unit, they're super versatile, use that to your advantage. They're a fantastic bunker for attachments, for commanders, and that is really the thing that excites me the most about them. Uh, we have Adepticon next week. I will see you guys up there. We have some very special events, and I'm not even sure what army I'm going to bring yet. I might switch things up and bring out a Faith Militant army. I might be running my standard, you know, Bolton, Bastards list and everything. So hopefully we'll see you there. In the meantime, hope you guys found this useful. We'll join you next time and talk about something completely different.